Hello and welcome to the second episode of Teaching Moments with Craig and Kirk Faulkner. How you doing? I'm doing great. Wonderful to be here. I'm excited to have our second episode. Number two. You know, you do one episode and it's like, are we really doing this? Second episode. Proof is in the second episode, as they say. Have you had any opportunity to use any uh, improv principles in your life? Well, yes and no. I was so excited about the podcast that I started to teach other people about improv. Did you really? I did, really. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Other business owners talking about the importance of incorporating the principles we talked about, and they really enjoyed it. So I hope our listeners are incorporating those techniques. Yeah, I know I had a really good time talking about it, and I talked to a lot of people at the Improv Theater about doing it. And I actually went through the principles with them. And it was funny, everybody had different ideas of what they would have talked about. And you know, there's not like a real unified school of exactly what the 10 commandments of improv are or anything. But overall, I think we hit on some good points on that one. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the the format of the show is we're trading episodes. I started with the first one, taught you a little bit about improv. Today is your episode. What are you going to teach me about? I want to teach you about building teams, team building, team building. How do you build a team in? I'm going to talk really about how to build a team in the business environment, because if you don't have a strong team in your business, you're really doomed for failure. I was a financial advisor years and years ago. And my mentor, when I first started in the business, his name was Willis Boyd. One of the few things that I remember him teaching me, he taught me a lot. I've forgotten most of what he taught me. But one of the few things I remember him teaching me was, if you hire the right people, you can own the world. Yeah, I really thought that was interesting and own the world as it applies to your sphere of influence, how you're trying to influence the people you're doing business with. And that really always stuck with me. And really, I think in business, again, this extends way beyond business. It extends into any non-business related organization. It could be a civic group. It could be a church group. If you surround yourself with the right people, if you really understand how to build a team, you can really have a strong influence. And so team building, as I have gone down the business path over the last 30 years, team building has been, I think, one of the keys to the success I've had in the businesses that I've started growing and then sold. So I thought it would be nice to focus on six keys to successful team building. That's great. I'm really excited to hear about it because, you know, sometimes when I look at your whole career in building these companies, I sometimes think, what has he got going that I don't got going? Because I haven't (laughs) really started any companies. I mean, I think you and I have a lot of talents in common. We do. And I think that one of the things that you have been strongest at is when you come up to something that is not in your toolkit, you are very quick to be able to find somebody who it is in their toolkit and bring them in and not just hire them, but actually get them excited about the project. So I've always been really impressed by that. So I'm excited to hear what your ideas are behind that. Well, good, good. Let's go ahead and get started. In fact, the first step and perhaps the most important step in building a strong team is hiring the right people for the right role. And again, going back to Willis Boyd's statement, if you can hire the right people, you can own 
the world around you. Hiring the right people really is essential to successfully building a team. As you start a business, as I started Emerald Publications, I was fortunate enough to be able to really work with people, number one, that had specific talents and strengths, some of which perhaps overlapped what I could do, but also hiring people that had strengths and talents in areas that I had really zero insight to. Now, hiring, and we could spend a lot of time talking about hiring people. That's not what this is about. Mm -hmm. When you hire someone, though, you have to have in your mind the specific role that they're going to fill. Sometimes what happens when you are trying to build a team, you fall in love with someone's personality, mm -hmm. but they may not have the right skill set to fill that role that you're looking for. You've got to make sure that they've got the right talent, they've got the right temperament, and that they are going to be a real essential part of the team, especially when you're starting. I look at one of my first hires when I started Emerald Publications was Barb Castle. And Barb Castle had an incredible ability to capture to-do lists and to really help me follow up and making sure that all the to-dos were accomplished. Now, that may seem like a soft skill, but it was a very, very specific skill that I needed in terms of helping me accomplish all the things that I was trying to put together when I launched Emerald Publications. Also, hiring the right people for the right role, you should be able to see how each one of those roles is going to complement the other roles. A key factor in building a really strong team is making sure that there are personalities that will complement each other and not fight each other. So hiring the right person for the right role is really the first step. Okay. Don't be too anxious to hire I see a lot of people that will hire too quickly. They won't interview enough people. I've always said in hiring, if you're going to have problems with somebody down the road as a team member, they typically have warned you on the front end. People warn you in interviews what their problems, what their hangups are going to be. And if you're concerned about something they've said, if you're concerned about the way they've responded to a question, if you're concerned about the way they've talked about their past employer, then that very well may be a problem down the road. And that hire may then really make it hard for you to build that cohesive team you're looking to build. I mean, do you have any insights or ideas on what are good questions in an interview or what you like to talk about or ask to get some insight on a person? You know, I'm a pretty informal interviewer. I always have been. I like to get to know the person. I like to get to know what their interests are. And one of the things that really helped me understand whether or not a person would be a valuable team member was how they interacted with their past employer. I really like to dive deep into understanding what their previous role was, some of the successes they had, some of the failures they felt they had, some of the frustrations they had with their past employer. And that gave me insight to how they would fit within the team. I also found that looking for specific examples or samples of their work was extremely important. It's really, really easy to overlook that 
most people aren't going to come to a job with examples of projects they've handled. But I found that as I would interview people, and if I was interviewing someone for finance, for example, I would talk to them about the specific tools they would use. Yeah. I would ask them, where is their skill set if we were using QuickBooks? What are some of the specific problems you've had or frustrations you've had with QuickBooks? And you can very quickly begin to understand how well-versed they are in that particular software program if you were interviewing for a finance person. You know, it's funny. I had to hire somebody a couple months back and I did this big search and I was hiring somebody who would have to do a lot of writing and I could not find a single candidate who I couldn't find a typo in their yeah, career. It's amazing how <laughs> people don't take time with those creative portfolios or those samples. And to me, that's like one of the most important things that you can spend your time getting ready on. Another very specific thing, it's a little thing, but I would find if a person showed up late for an interview, many times I wouldn't interview them. If a person wouldn't follow up with me, at least with an email, I prefer a phone call. But if they wouldn't follow up with me with an email thanking me for the interview, that would be a big strike against that person. I had some very, very specific things that I was looking for in an interview I found and continue to find in business. It's the small things that people do on a consistent basis that add up to be major successes. So I'm looking for the small, positive, successful responses that someone would give me in an interview to determine whether or not I would go for a second interview. The other thing that I will mention is I think it's essential to include other team members in the interview process. People that you're currently working with, get them to interview that person because I know my interview style is a lot less formal than some of my other members of the executive team would take a much more focused and much more systematic interview approach. So my informal approach, someone's more structured approach, someone's more technically oriented approach, typically we would try to have at least three people interview a potential team member. The other thing that that does is you're letting your team know, your existing team members know, that you don't take lightly inviting someone else to join that team. You noticed not once have I said the word employee. I don't like the term employee. I remember that being a thing. And I really do believe, and I really form this opinion very, very strongly with this last company, Faulkner Media Group, that we did. I believe in this environment that people more so than ever want to become a member of a team where they can be respected, where they can be appreciated. And communicating that right at the beginning of the interview process and letting the people on your team that are going to help you with the interview process know that this person has joined the team. We're hiring a team member. We're not hiring an employee. We're going to value this person just like we value you. Yeah. Very, very clearly communicates how much you value them and how it really is a collaborative effort. Yeah. I definitely, uh, I mean, respond way more to that than the idea of just being an employee for a company. But it's a harder thing to achieve, like team membership, than just being an employee. You know? It really is. An essential part of that interview process is really clearly identifying the role that they're going to fill. Yeah. The second important step in building a strong team within your organization is to empower team members. Okay. 
there's nothing more frustrating for a new team member to join your company. They're excited. They come on board. You have outlined their roles and you micromanage every step, every decision that they make. You've got to be willing to let the new team member and team members that are seasoned team members, you've mm -hmm. got to be willing to let people stumble, to let them fall, and then quickly come and cheer them up. Yeah. You can't expect people to become excited about working with you if you are micromanaging them. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting as you're going through and talking about these, I know we're framing this in the idea of this is how you build a team. This is how you bring team members mm -hmm. in. But I'm also hearing the exact inverse of this is this is how you become a team member. Because when you talk about how to interview somebody, I'm thinking about how it is when I get interviewed. And when you talk about how you help somebody start and you don't micromanage them, I'm thinking about how I am when I start a job. It's just interesting. I mean, it really is a two-way street it really uh, when you're is. building a team. Yeah, it really is. And I think, you know, this whole idea of, of empowerment, it's an exciting concept to me because I have seen over the years as a young entrepreneur in my early 30s, starting my first formal company, I had done financial planning before I started Emerald Publications. But in starting that company, I look back and I can see how I really didn't empower people. And I look back and I look at the turnover that I had with some of my key members. And at that time, they were just employees to me. Hey, shut up and do the work. And I'm going to tell you what to do. And I look back and I just kind of shake my head at myself thinking, I really didn't know what I was doing. I didn't realize how frustrating I was making their experience working for me or with me. I think specifically of a very, very talented creative director that I had and how I sat over his shoulder really trying to art direct every move, every step that he took. He was a very talented, creative person, and he ended up leaving after a few years. Yeah. <laughs> and if I would have just backed off a little bit and said, listen, I trust you. Here's the general look and general feel to the presentation that we're creating that I want. Knock yourself out and show me what you come up with. It's interesting. This is one of the things that I think I've seen you do very well. I think one of the things that I've seen you do very well is be able to communicate a vision to somebody and get them inspired and aligned with that vision and then let them go. Because you've communicated the vision well, you can trust that they got it. You can trust them to kind of go off and execute on that. But I think if you either aren't clear on the vision yourself or you're not very good at communicating that vision to somebody, that's when I think you got to micromanage a lot because then you got to watch every decision they're making to make sure the, the right one. But if the bigger picture is kind of instilled in them, you can definitely give them more space. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that is the third, oh, okay. that is the third <laughs> step is communicate. I'm glad you bring that up because communication is essential in any relationship, right? I mean, whether it's a marriage relationship, any interpersonal relationship, you've got to be able to communicate. And I do think that you can empower someone to go out and make decisions on their own. But if you haven't communicated your vision as a leader, part of that communication process is instilling some excitement, some creativity, communicating that they have been empowered. And obviously communicating your vision for the project. Mm -hmm. If you can't communicate that, 
you are going to have very, very frustrated team members. I'll give you an example. In the early, early years of my career, we created a lot of seminar presentations. And the seminar presentations were on financial topics. Well, I had someone uh, that was very good at helping capture and really get the specifics of the topics that I thought we ought to talk about. And I found as I invested more time in helping frame out those presentations, initially I would sit down and say, well, okay, I'm thinking about doing a presentation. Let's do a presentation on retirement planning and let's cover these three or four points. Go put something together. Well, that person would come back. I mean, it's like going, sending that person out to collect some rocks at the beach. They'd come back with some rocks. I said, no, I don't like those rocks. Go get some other rocks. They'd come back. No, I don't like those rocks. Go get some other rocks. And they would get very, very frustrated with me. Yeah, that is frustrating. I quickly realized that what I needed to do, I needed to take more responsibility in the communication process. And so I actually would sit down and I would use the little three by five cards and I would write down specific topics that I thought we ought to cover. And if it was say a 60 slide presentation, I would put together maybe 30 or 40 note cards of how I think the flow ought to go. And so when I would sit down with this writer, I had the ability to communicate my vision And then, of course, encourage them to expand or contract on it. And I found that we would come much closer to picking the right rocks the first or second time. I've been in that situation a lot where I'm the writer or I'm the creative person who's getting direction. And I get it takes more energy to do the communication up front. It's easier up front to just kind of give a vague idea and hope that I come back with the right thing. But there is nothing more discouraging than going and making an honest effort at really executing on something, coming back and just having somebody shake their head and go, no, that's not it. They didn't give you the parameters. You didn't walk away with the vision and going and doing it the second time. It's always like 60% of the effort of the first time. That's right. (laughs) It's just decreasing each time you have to go back and try again. The other important part of the communication process in building a team, not only comes as you're working one-on-one, but it comes as you're dealing with the team as a whole. When you're a young organization, you just have a handful of team members. I placed a high priority on meeting with the team, the whole team, on a weekly basis and communicating the direction of the company, reestablishing the direction if you have to, communicating your failures and successes. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But in some cases, I felt like I was over-communicating how sales were going, how marketing was working, introducing new software platforms to manage the uh, business with. I found as you were very open and very transparent with the small team, you got people excited about being involved in the decisions that you were making, being involved and really going the extra mile on their own roles and responsibilities. As we got bigger, as the company gets bigger, you then expect each one of your departments, your leaders to communicate on a weekly basis. And then as a CEO, I found that pulling the organization together on a monthly basis and communicating and asking the executive team, as well as kind of rank and file team members to participate in those programs. I found that to be very, very effective. 
you create that esprit de corps, that camaraderie that is so important in business today and so important in any organization. And you can't do that unless you're communicating on an ongoing basis, one-on-one in a group environment. That's awesome. So that was number three. Number three, number four, set goals. A goal not written is only a wish. A wish. A wish. A dream. A dream. We love setting goals in the organizations that I was involved with. One of the fun goals to set is a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. Mm-hmm. As you set your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal for the organization, you then can break that down yeah. into department goals on how those roll up to support that big, hairy, audacious goal. Yeah. I think that there's a real balance, at least I feel there's a real balance in goal setting. I've had friends that I've known for decades, and some never set goals, and some have been so meticulous about goal setting their whole life that it seems like they never got anything done. I think there's a real balance in goal setting. And for me, I find that in business, if you can repeat the goals off the top of your head mm-hmm. after a week or two after you set the goals, that's probably about the right number. Yeah. And for me, it's <laughs> about five or six right. important goals for the organization. And then, of course, I would encourage the VPs and the department managers to take and come up with their own goals. Yeah. You know, just to keep bringing it back from the team member point of view, one of the things that I have the biggest problem with goal setting that a lot of times happens in an organization is there will be a big, hairy, audacious goal, and the way that it is connected to me is not clearly set out. Like my input or the way that my success is measured, I can't draw a direct line to my actions. So like, just for example, like I was in a situation where I was in the marketing department and my bonus was based on how the sales team did, what their numbers were. And because the goals that were set weren't things that I could totally have control over, I wasn't connected to it. I could try to do better at my job and hope that that would affect how the sales team did. And it's not like there's no relationship to it at all. But unless I could have a direct influence over the things that I was trying to achieve, it actually kind of ended up being discouraging. Yeah. And many times in an organization, when you set goals, I don't necessarily like to set goals and tie people's financial success to the goals I set. Right. I think that can be very, very frustrating. I think the goals that you set for an organization, you have to make sure that those goals are going to be valued goals by all team members. Mm -hmm. For example, I would never set a goal to make a million dollars net income at the end of a year for a young organization. What does that have to do with the receptionist who is a valuable member of the team, who answers emails, returns texts, greets people as they come in, they're not going to relate to that goal. In fact, that goal is going to probably make them just a little hostile team member, (laughs) okay? Because they aren't necessarily going to benefit from that. I think financial goals are great if it's for the executive team. I think you have to be very, very careful, very cautious about talking about the financial benefits in the organization in general. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but you just need to be very, very careful how you present that. And you need to think, how is that going to impact all team members? Yeah. Yeah. How's it going to encourage each member of the team 
to be excited about putting forth their best contribution and feel like their contribution really means something and you know is valued and, and all the things that are going to make them excited to come to work. That is kind of the difference between being a team member and being just an employee is an employee just comes and kind of clocks in and clocks out and just puts their time in every day. And a team member is working towards something with a group of people. That's right. And when you set goals, it may be to launch a new platform. I think of Faulkner Media Group, FMG mm -hmm. Suite. And I think of some of the goals that we set in terms of the amount of content that we wanted to make available to financial advisors, the functionality that we wanted to make available to advisors using our marketing platform. I mean, those were goals that we set that the whole organization could really celebrate because we were doing something great for the person that was giving us our paycheck. And that was our clients, our customers. And so I think being very, very thoughtful of how you set group goals becomes an essential element to create that really cohesive team that you're trying to create. Now, I think as a manager, me sitting down with a team member, setting a goal, helping them set goals that are going to help them advance their career, advance their skill set, give them more recognition in the organization with other peers, I think that's extremely important too. But I don't believe you should ever set a goal for a team member that is potentially going to be punitive. That is demoralizing. It is. Let's set a goal that you'll have written a hundred pages of this new manual that we want you to work on. And let's have that done by the 30th of this month. Yeah. Do you think you can do it? <laughs> <laughs> that's not so much a goal as it is just like a job. That's a, a task. That, that's a job. That's punishment. <laughs> yeah. And that team member is not going to be thinking they're a team member. They're no. going to be thinking they're an indentured servant yeah. and they're going to be looking for another job. Or the other thing that they do is they just look to find the bare minimum contribution they have to do to keep their job. They're not inspired. They're not looking to reach that next level with people. So Exactly. So I think the fourth item or step and building successful teams, goal setting, leads us to number five quite nicely, and that's celebrate successes and failures. Nice. Okay. In any organization, you have to acknowledge people's contributions. Sometimes if you have that driver personality, and many entrepreneurs have that driver personality, have a really short attention span, they don't slow down and acknowledge the successes that individual team members are having and departments are having and contributing to the organization. And when you acknowledge someone's contribution or a team or department's contribution, you really ignite that person or that group to continue to strive, to do their best, to excel, to set more goals. I really believe that this all ties into communicating properly. If you're communicating, then you're excited to set goals. And then if you acknowledge the successes that you're having as it relates to the goals that you've set, people really get excited on yeah. your team. I mean, it's so funny how little effort it takes to acknowledge someone's contribution versus the amount of energy that that brings to something just to what the person's job to their future endeavors like acknowledgement really takes almost nothing like an email sent out to the company or saying something in front of a group of people that's or, right it really is just a 
bare minimum amount of effort and the consequences of it can be gigantic. I think you're right. And I think that they say money is a motivator, but it's not a satisfier. I used to not believe that, Yeah, <laughs> but I really do believe that now. Money may motivate you, but it doesn't give you a long-term satisfaction, the job yeah. satisfaction. As you are complimented, as successes are acknowledged. And remember the second part, which I haven't really spent any time on, also acknowledging failures. Not in a punitive way, though. I'll tie back to the example of the writer that I worked with sending to the beach to collect rocks. Early on, when someone would come into my office and miss the mark, I didn't celebrate their failure. I was punitive. Yeah. That's not right. You need to listen more carefully. We can't do this many rewrites. Yeah. That is exactly the wrong thing to do. It's demoralizing. And I know to hear me say that right now, you'd think, well, of course you shouldn't say that. But we slip into those negative habits and they're hard to break. What I should have done and what I did in later years was we missed the mark. But as I look back on it, I can see that I probably didn't articulate the vision well enough. And I needed to share some of the responsibility for the failure on that particular project with my other team member. And I think as you do that, people then come to really understand that, hey, we're in this together. Yeah. It's not me against you. You know what I think the most discouraging response, if I bring something to somebody and it isn't what they wanted, the most discouraging thing I can hear is, you know what? I'll just do it myself. Because <laughs> yeah. then not only did I not do this job right, but I also from all evidence, we'll never be able to do a job. right. Like you've taken away the opportunity of me even ever getting this one right. The next one's probably going to be wrong. I'm just discouraged from here on out. Like you've, you've taken that opportunity away. So I think this uh, point number five, celebrating successes and failures, really, we want to treat people fairly and compensate them fairly. And I really do believe that in business. I think Though, if you are compensating people fairly and not having those celebrations of successes mm -hmm. and really embracing failures in a positive way, no amount of additional compensation will overcome the negative impact of ignoring this whole concept of celebrating. It just won't happen. The last step, and I think this is something that comes maybe a little more naturally for some than others. And for me, it didn't come quite as naturally. And the sixth point is know each other. Really get to know your team members. I'm not saying that I didn't know my team members. I knew, you know, if they were in a relationship or if they were married, if they had children, I knew some of their interests, but it kind of goes beyond that. When I talk about knowing each other, it's being patiently understanding of who this person is, what their likes and dislikes are, and really try to be considerate to that person. Mm -hmm. I know that some of my team members would come into my office after a weekend and it was extremely important to them to talk about their weekend. Now in business, I'm a pretty action-oriented guy and after a weekend and sometimes after a long weekend, the last thing I wanted to do was hear about their weekend. But the more mature side of me said, if you want to let this person know you really appreciate them as a team member and as a contributor, slow down and listen and enjoy 
their story about yeah. the weekend. You really get to understand that person and value what is important to them during that work week and shine a light on those areas that were important to them. Yeah. I think one of the things that I have had to learn in being on teams and being in companies is to accept the fact that there is a diversity of, I'll say like a diversity of operating systems. The things that like drive people and the way that people feel comfortable acting and feel comfortable interacting, you almost come to these situations sometimes just expecting everybody to have your same operating system. And the way that you look at things and the way that you interact with people and what's important to you and all that stuff, and you just kind of expect it to be everybody's how they are in the world. And you really have to give people space to be different and take the time to get to know what drives a person. What person should you leave alone in the morning? What person <laughs> wants to you know talk while they're getting coffee? Who likes to go to lunch alone? I mean, there's just a lot to know about people. And you have to spend the bandwidth to get to know how people operate throughout their day. I think that's a very, very good point there. And kind of expanding on this getting to know each other as an organization, we didn't do this all the time, but there would be periods of time where we would shine the light on one person during the week or during the month and really let the organization get to know that person. As your organization grows, and really I found that the dynamics in an organization from you know a couple of team members up to 15, it's easy for everybody to stay connected. It's really easier to know everybody's operating style. When you go past 15 or 25, from 25 to 50, that is a whole nother vibe in the organization. You have to then start introducing more activities to ensure that you are getting to know each other. And then when you go from the 50 to 100, that's a whole nother swing. And I found once you start knocking up on that 40 to 50 number, you really got to double down and have great management in your human resource department. Mm -hmm. You have to empower that person to help ensure that the organization is getting to know all the other team members. As a CEO, if I tried to take that responsibility on myself, I found that I just couldn't stay focused on that issue long enough. So I really empowered our HR person to help the organization focus on that. And then of course, knowing each other and encouraging the managers and the vice presidents as the organization grows, encouraging them to do things in their departments and with their stewardships, that becomes essential. So getting to know each other is something that it's not just done with throwing monthly parties, yeah. which I think is great. You need to have those monthly get-togethers. You need to have the socials. You need to have the holiday parties, etc. But it goes beyond that in any organization. I think it's something that I saw when I worked with you when you were the CEO is as the organization gets bigger, you have to rely more and more on people within the organization to continue to build the team and strengthen the team kind of in little pockets and then connect them together. But the thing that I did notice is that everybody still takes kind of their tonal marching orders from the leader. Like the leader still sets the tone for how other people then go out and build the team around them. So if the leader is not, you know, extending that team building atmosphere, like 
even if he's just surrounded with just the department heads and he's not able to get out and meet every single person, say you're like in a thousand person company, you still set the tone that then moves out throughout the entire company. It's like cascading. It's like trickle down team building. It's really important that it comes from the top. Really, in any organization, it does come from the top. If the organization that you're involved in, if you have a leadership position, if you're hearing that people are unhappy, you know, it could be that they feel like they're not being appreciated. It feel like they're not being communicated to. They feel like they have to redo their projects over and over again. All of that comes back to you as the leader. You know, and this may be a good place for us to recap building strong teams. I mean, you have to hire, number one, you have to hire the right team members. Mm -hmm. You've got to hire them. You've got to define their role. Number two, if you're hiring the right people, why wouldn't you give them free reign and empower them to carry forth with their roles and let them stumble? But if they need additional training, if you've hired right, they'll be the right people to invest in. Number three, you've got to communicate. You've got to be a great communicator in the business world today. There are too many distractions. And if you do not have a strong ability to communicate, people will be distracted and they will not deliver on time. They will not deliver as promised. And they'll be frustrated with their job performance as you'll be frustrated with their job performance. Number four, set goals. Set goals as an organization, set goals as a department, and encourage people to set personal goals. And then number five is celebrate those successes and celebrate the failures. When I say celebrate the failures, I should say more recognize the failures, not in any kind of punitive way, but recognize those failures. And if In hindsight, as you recognize those failures, you need to pivot as an organization and modify those goals. Feel free to do that. And number six, get to know the team members. Get to know the team members more than just their name, their marital status, you know, their hobbies, their interests. Get to know their operating styles. Get to know their temperament. Get to know what they like to do on the weekend. Get to know whether they want to talk about, heaven forbid, whether (laughs) whether or not they want to talk about the weekend (laughs) with you on Monday. And as you do those things, as you really embrace those six concepts or steps, you will have this incredible team. And one of the most rewarding experiences I had in my long career of being an entrepreneur was this last company that I was involved in. And that was the Faulkner Media Group, FMG Suite. And I knew, and I was very, very vocal about this, that I as a business leader could have never accomplished what we accomplished in a very short period of time if it hadn't been for every team member that we had at FMG. To me, that was really one of the most rewarding experiences I've had in business was having that strong, cohesive team that accomplished great goals. I think people would have to really get to know the company to be able to recognize just how miraculous of achievement the speed at which that company developed at is. The company itself is a great company and makes a great product and all that stuff. It should have taken much longer to grow a team that could do that. The speed at which that all came together is just fantastic. I mean, I think it's a real accomplishment. Well, thank you. And again, I really give credit 
to the team that did that. And if I did anything right at FMG Suite, it was hiring the right team members. And in the early years, I really considered the team members partners in the business and mm -hmm. still do consider them partners. They were and they still are very, very talented people that made that happen. To me, there's nothing more rewarding. It's fun to make money, but it's even more fun to make money and have a great team that has made that possible and has participated along the way. So I think those are six steps that will serve everybody well. Those are awesome. I really got a lot out of that. And like I said, you know, I'm looking at building my own team at work right now. And at the same time, I'm looking at being a good team member and I really got a lot of both sides from that. So yeah, thanks a lot for that. That All was right. fantastic. Another teaching moment. Another teaching moment. All right, that's episode two in the can. We will see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really would appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, give us a good review, write something it's nice, encourage that. us. We thrive on encouragement. Yes, communicate. Communicate to us. <laughs> we want you to be part of our team, a part of the Teaching Moments team. That's right. We're going to have to make t-shirts. Yes, I like it. All right. Okay, great. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.